All right, so this morning we are going to look at a few verses. If you were here last Sunday, you're going to go, wait a second, we kind of were at those verses last week. We were, but I didn't really get into them, so let's pray. We're going to just take a running start right into this here. So, Father, we come before you. I thank you for bringing us here together. I thank you for um, how you're watching over us. You're watching over our families. You're watching over our friends. You're watching over each, each one of us. We pray for the experiences, the conversations that happened over this last week uh, during Thanksgiving. Uh, Lord, we just pray that you would work in any of those conversations that happened. And God, that you would just um, make yourself known to the people that we were around during Thanksgiving. I would ask, Father, that you would be with those who are not here with us today because they're under the weather. I think about Pastor Joe and his wife, Linda, and uh, probably so many others as well. We just ask for your hand to be upon them and bring them healing. Uh, we pray for those that are traveling right now and trying to get back home after uh, spending time with family and friends. Uh, traveling mercies for them, Lord, and watch over them as they come back. Pray for our college students and high school students too as they'll be coming back uh, this week as well. As our word is open, God, we just ask that you would give us understanding. We pray that as we're looking at your word, we would hear you speak to us about something that's going on in our life so that we would know what we should do and how we should move forward. We thank you. We lift all these things up to you in Jesus' name now. Amen. Amen. So Jesus already sent his disciples out in Matthew chapter 10. But what we're reading now are Jesus' words about what he told them as he was sending them out. And last week we heard certain phrases like, hey, you're going to be like sheep going out amongst wolves. Oh, that's encouraging. But Jesus, I love it, he doesn't lie. Jesus doesn't lie. So he's telling them the truth. You are going to have challenges. And if you're looking in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 10, verse 23, Jesus continued in how he prepared them. And he said, when they persecute you in one town, not if, not if, When, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. I think that's really interesting, that passage right there. It's okay for you to disengage and to keep moving. I think sometimes, you know, you just, you really care about somebody so much and you're like, I wish they knew who Jesus was. I wish they would just receive the truth of who Jesus is. And what ends up happening is you end up working it. We can end up working it too much. Rather than simply, because we're called to be like that sower, right? You throw the seeds out there. You sow the seeds. But it's not our job to make it grow. That's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to let the truth of God be known. And we do it in ways that aren't supposed to come across as you're trying to ram it down their throat. And the thing is, even if you use the best of tactics, you've been very thoughtful and you're going, I want to, I want to say this in a way that they would receive it. I want to, I want to be kind and I want to be considerate as to who they are. And you do it in all of those ways. All right. Let's just say you've done it that way. And the response coming back is like, whoa, intense and not um, receptive. We can have a tendency, some of us can have the tendency to go, oh, well, maybe you didn't hear me. So let's do it again and again and again. And it's like, oh, I love how Jesus says, listen, if they, when they, when, not if, when they persecute you in one town, just keep moving, just keep moving. 
You did your job. You shared what you needed to share. And now go to the next town. Because if you just stop in that one town and you don't go any further, you'll miss all the other people that I have for you to, to share with. And I just would encourage you, I mean, you really want to choose the hills that you die on because you only get to do it once. So like if you're going to get super intense about something, just make sure that, you, you know, you're willing for that to possibly be the last time. And what I mean by that in a practical day-to-day thing is if you're really going to press the point with somebody, make sure that it was the Lord that told you to do that. Okay? Because if you do it under your own strength or wisdom, which is limited on both of those, uh, you may shut off the opportunity to have any further conversations with that person because you push too hard. Because God didn't tell you to and you just were trying to drive the point across. And God was like, back off. When you're gone, the Holy Spirit works in people's lives. And so I just would encourage you, when you speak with people, make sure you're, you always give them the opportunity to have a second conversation. In other words, you don't have to share everything in one conversation. You're just trying to lay the groundwork. At least let them see that you're not totally crazy. Okay, how about that? Start there. And then, you know what? If they're interested or they want to know more about the Lord, guess who they know who to come talk to? you when a challenge happens in their life or they just they don't know what to do hey i remember that one person that was like they said they were a christian or they love jesus or something maybe i can talk to them you'd be surprised how many people will come back in your direction when at first it didn't seem like they were receptive and it's because it's like jesus is saying here hey you'll get challenged and when you get challenged it's okay you can keep moving on there's plenty of people that need to hear the gospel there's plenty of people that need to hear the truth of who jesus is Something interesting in verse 23, I'm not going to get into the details of it, just to say this, that it, some of it speaks about end times, uh, possibly uh, a scenario there. Verse 23, Jesus is saying here, I truly say to you that you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Wait, who's the Son of Man? Now, it could be Son of Man means Jesus, but wait, that means everybody in Israel isn't going to hear about the truth of the gospel before Jesus comes back? That doesn't seem fair. Like People should have the opportunity to know the truth. So what that could be, son of man, that could be, there's a few uh, Roman uh, rulers and authorities that will show up in the near future from the time that Jesus said this. And I, Jesus could have been saying, hey, listen, you're not going to get a chance to tell everybody in Israel before these Roman leaders end up showing up. That's one possibility. Another possibility, though, to consider is that that actually is Jesus. And then you may go, but Jim, you just said, how in the world would he, why would he tell his disciples, hey, you're not going to have a chance to go through all of Israel before I show up again. That doesn't seem fair. Well, maybe that speaks of the fact that the followers of Jesus, they won't be around to tell everybody. So God's going to have to raise up a whole nother group of people to tell people in the end times. That's like stuff in the book of Revelation. I don't have time to get into an end time study right now off of that one verse. But I think it's interesting. And, you know, maybe like, well, Jim, could it be one or the other? I would give you this possibility. It could actually be both. That it referred to a Roman ruler in the short term, but it actually refers to Jesus in the long term. In other words, Jesus is going to raise up a whole group of people after his followers are, well, the Bible speaks of a rapture taken from this earth. Well, then if we're all gone, who's going to tell people about Jesus? 144,000 amazing missionaries are going to be sent out into this world. But again, that's an end time study. I'm not going to talk about that right now. I've already said too much. Verse 24, Jesus goes on. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. Okay, what, what does that mean? In other words, the things that Jesus went through, don't be surprised if you as a follower of Jesus experience some of the challenges that Jesus went through. 
Jesus even told his followers this. In the Gospel of John, you'll see this on the screen here behind me. Jesus was speaking to his followers and he says this. If the world hates you, know this, that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And then Jesus tells him to remember something that he himself said. Look at this. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. What we're reading here in Matthew. And Jesus goes on and said, If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And then Jesus finishes and says, But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. There will, pe- there will be people that will come against Christians. And they will come against Christians. And Jesus very clearly tells you why they will come against Christians. They will come against Christians on account of the Christians? No, on account of Jesus. Jesus takes persecution very personally. Let me again state this so clear. If as a Christian, you have people coming against you because you're just being dumb, well, that's on you. Okay, that's not what we're talking about here. This is specifically talking about when we're speaking about who Jesus is and we're trying to love people and we receive persecution for just loving people, Jesus says, listen, they're doing that because of me, not because of you. Don't take it personally. Jesus is freeing up his followers to not take it personally when people come against them. That is so freeing. You don't have to get revenge. You don't have to be angry. You don't have to like, I'm going to get you back for what you said. I'm going to defend Jesus for what you said. Listen, we're just called to love him. Jesus understands where that animosity is actually directed. It's directed against him. And I think that's important for us to realize. So it's not, you know, if you're, if you're sharing the love of Jesus with people, you're letting your light shine in this dark world, you are going to experience persecution of some form. People are not, not everybody's going to go, yay, I'm so happy for what you're sharing. Some people just go, hey, that's great. That's your opinion. Hey, stop sharing it. Why don't you just shut your mouth? Why don't you stop talking about that? Why don't you stop talking about your make-believe God and your fairy tale book? At that moment, for some of us, those kind of phrases really push our buttons. I would be one of them. And that's where these quick prayers start to go up where it's like, Lord, remind me of the fact that that isn't against me. And Lord, give me compassion for people. You don't want to be the angry Christian. That's a really bad representation of Jesus. You get angry when people don't agree with you. You don't have to get angry. You know what you need to do? You love them. You pray for them. And you, what you may need to do? Keep moving. Keep moving. And love the next group that God brings before you. So Jesus goes on and, you know, Jesus is loving people and taking care of people. And people, you know, you'd think everybody would love Jesus. If you saw Jesus do this miraculous thing, you'd think everybody would love him, right? Verse 25 in Matthew 10, Jesus, again, speaking to his disciples, it is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they call the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? Okay, so if they called like the master, the leader, the head Beelzebub, we'll talk about that, then, you know, are we really surprised when they say things about those that follow him? I give you this story in the Gospel of Matthew. It's a couple chapters forward, but you'll see it on the screen here. This is an amazing thing Jesus did. Everybody that witnessed this, they saw the same thing, but look at their responses. Here's what happened. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute, couldn't see and couldn't speak, was brought to him, to Jesus. He healed him so that the man spoke and saw. 
Great. That's amazing. That's an amazing thing. And all the people were amazed and said, look at this. Can this be the son of David? Son of David there? That's the, the king that was supposed to come after David who was going to be this perfect king. And so people are watching this miracle happening and they're going, could this be that king that we've been waiting for? That perfect king who has the perfect kingdom? Okay, it's great. Everybody's saying that. No, everybody's not saying that. Verse 24, but when the Pharisees heard it, they said, ah, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Wow. Notice this. The same event happened. Two groups witnessed it and they had two separate responses. And the responses couldn't be further apart from each other. One group says, oh, look, it's the future king. It's that son of David, the perfect king. We, he's amazing. This Jesus is the, is the king of kings. And another group who witnesses the same miraculous event says, he's the prince of demons. Wow, talk about extremes, right? But something else, they didn't just say he was a prince of demons. They were absolutely insulting him in a very crass way. Because Beelzebub is also known as the Lord of the Flies. Not the Lord of the Rings, the Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies? Yeah, the Pharisees are going, you're just the Lord of the Flies. All the flies are buzzing around you. You know why it's called the Lord of the Flies? Because another name for Beelzebub is the Dung King. That's what they're calling Jesus. You're the Dung King. They're straight up cussing to his face. Some people are going, you're the king of kings. And the other group says, you're the dung king. Listen, if that's what Jesus went through, are we so surprised that we would share something and some people will hear it and go, I'm so glad you shared that. That's exactly what I needed to hear. I needed to hear that my life is worth it. I need to hear that somebody loves me. I needed to hear that there is a God who cares for me. At the same time, somebody else who was hearing the same conversation could come at you and go, who are you to share that garbage? Who are you? Like, that, that's just a bunch of garbage and nobody really cares. Why don't you just go away? The exact same thing is said and two different responses. You know what that tells you? That tells you that the responses here, they show you the hearts of the people. When you have one event happening and you have multiple responses, the responses actually tell you about the people and how each individual group looks at the event that just happened. Don't be surprised if not everybody loves you because you love Jesus. Jesus is actually, Jesus is popular, meaning he's well known, but Jesus is not as well liked as you may think. And I think that's the shocking moment when you realize that Jesus is actually not liked in our society. He isn't. And what do you mean by Jesus? I mean the Jesus of the Bible, the actual Jesus. I think if people knew who the actual Jesus was, they'd go, oh wait, he actually, he makes some, he's like being kind of demanding. Well, he's a king. Yes. <laughs> he's not asking you. He's telling you who he is. He's not just um, telling, he's not just like going, well, if you have the time, you should live your life this way. He's actually instructing people. And he's telling you that there's only one way to have a relationship with God, and that's through him. Oh, that seems way too exclusive. And I think some people there, they have this, uh, they have this like for a Jesus that isn't the real Jesus. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's some made up Jesus. And so when people see who Jesus really is, he's not as liked, he wasn't really liked back then. And Jesus honestly is not really liked right now. For some people, 
He's the best thing that they've ever heard because that's what they've been looking for their whole life. And for other people, they only see him as a person that restricts their freedom. And so they're like, no, I don't want you. It hasn't changed. People haven't changed in human history. Okay, so this is how Jesus has been treated. And so we come into verse 26. Jesus is going to tell them something very important, which is to not fear. And he's going to say it three times. Here's the first time. Verse 26. So have no fear of them, the critics, the ones that come against you. Have no fear fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. You know what that means? That means that at the end of time, at the end of this life here, everybody's going to know the truth of who Jesus really is. It's just for some, the decision time is why you still have breath. But the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Every single one. So even the critic, even those Pharisees that were like, you're the dung king. At their last breath, the next thing that they saw, they saw the true and risen king for who he is. They saw the truth. But for them, that's too late. And they will bow a knee and they will confess that Jesus is king. Everyone will, even the strongest critic of who Jesus is, will bow their knee to him. And so we should have a compassion for people to encourage them to realize who he is in this life, because this is the life where you make the decision. You know, I thought about this. We as Christians, we should live like we know the future. And this is what, you know, crazy thoughts pop into this pastor's heads. This, this pastor's heads? Heads? One head. Into his head. Case in point. A movie from, well, this one's not from the 80s, and this one was in the early 90s, but Back to the Future 2. Nowhere near as good as the first one, but Back to the Future 2. So Marty McFly ends up in the future, and he ends up in a, it's actually a pretty comical vision of the future, but he ends up in the future, he goes to a second-hand store, and he ends up finding this almanac. He ends up finding Gray's Sports Almanac from 1950 to 2000. And in the future, well, that's an antique. He buys it and he goes, oh, if I go back in time, I can make a few bets. Because I know all the winners of the sports in this almanac. It's recorded them. And so, if you know the movie, Biff ends up getting it from future Biff. That's a whole other detail. But anyway, he gets it. Biff is, is the bad guy in the story here. He gets it. He goes back to the 1950s and he has an almanac that says what's going to happen between 1950 and 2000 with sports. And he just starts betting and betting and future Biff becomes a very, 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 very rich man. And I just thought about this. Christians should be betting, quotation marks, on the future with all the inside information we have. Do you realize, Christian, that you have been given a book that tells you how things actually will end up? Like, we have the way that things will, will end. Do we have every single detail? No, we don't have every single detail, but boy, do we know how the story ends. And so since we have the future revealed in our hands, shouldn't we be living our lives as if we know what the future actually is? Like, shouldn't we be investing the limited resources we have into things that will last longer than our short lives? Because, yeah, you can accumulate lots of things and stuff, but they're only going to last as long as you're alive, which is a really short time. And then they'll get sold at a yard sale for pennies on a dollar. It's going to happen. Everything at a yard sale was treasured by somebody once. 
loved by somebody, thought about, so many hours of time and research and all of that, and uh, can I get this for two fifty? I know you have it for ten. Can I get it for two fifty? Three dollars. All right, there you go. Great. You got to realize that in our life we have limited resources. Probably the most limited one we have is time. Today you'll have one less day. Are you investing your limited resources into something that will last longer than you? To something that actually matters. If you know the future, you also know there's certain things that won't last long and there's other things that will never end. There are some things that are eternal and you can invest in things that are eternal. It's amazing because the followers of Christ, as they read the words of Christ and they read the Bible, they realize that people are more important than things. They realize that investing time in people, caring about people, are more important than accumulating stuff. And that will never change. God loves people. Things are just things. People, every single human being that you will run into in this life, every single one, they're eternal beings. They were created to live forever. And every person will live forever. Some will live forever in the presence of God and some will live forever away from the presence of God for eternity. And each group will do it of their own choice. You and I have a responsibility as followers of Jesus to let people know that. It's so easy to get wrapped up in this short life. It is so easy to get wrapped up in the shiny things of this life that you have to have today and that tomorrow you're laughed at because it's so old. Are you chasing after all the temporary things of this life? I don't know. I just think as we as Christians, we should be living life looking forward, not looking at the here and now of what we can accumulate. And so Jesus is telling his followers, listen, everything that you share, the truth you share about the gospel, you will be vindicated. Even if people come against you, they will one day see that everything you said about me was true. So you don't have to be ashamed about telling the truth. You don't have to be afraid of people. And then Jesus tells you some things like, what am I going to tell people? It's real awesome what Jesus does here. Verse 27, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. So Who's the one that's giving us the information? Jesus. Jesus says, what I tell you, tell other people. What I tell you in the dark or like in quiet, you, you tell in a broader, to a broader audience. What you hear me whisper to you, proclaim it from the housetops. And like those housetops and the way that those housetops were set up, you may go like, this is like a Broadway musical or a Disney movie where somebody's just like, I'm going to just talk about how great Jesus is with a song and dance on my roof. No, that's not what that means. In their time and day and age, the housetops were their patio. That's where everybody gathered. They didn't have outdoor patios. They didn't have like covered areas like that. What they would do is if guests came, it would get stuffy or warm within the house. So they had ways to get to their roof. And on the roof is when you were having a party or having people over, that's where you would meet was on your housetop, on your rooftop. And so what Jesus is saying is the things that I've told, talked to you personally, when you're around a lot of other people and you're interacting and mingling with them, Make sure you tell them the things that I told you. Make sure you talk to them about me. A Christian should not keep their love of Jesus hidden. Jesus is telling you, you should proclaim it and whatever your housetop is. For a lot of us at Thanksgiving, we had an opportunity at Thanksgiving to just let the light of Jesus shine. We were able to um, make Thanksgiving baskets and share them with people in the community and on behalf of the church they were given. So you as a church blessed people in our community and families in our area. And you know what? 
That's proclaiming the love of Jesus. For families to get it and have tears in their eyes and go, wait a second, you, wait, what? Yeah, God just loves you. That's proclaiming the love of Jesus. And maybe, maybe, they may one day walk in and come to church. That'd be great. But that's not why we did it. We did it because we love them the way Jesus loves them. We're not doing it for ulterior motive. We're doing it simply because God put a love in our heart for them. And so if God's put something on your heart about how awesome he is, you can't keep that to yourself. You can't keep that to yourself. We live in a digital age. So now housetops can be digital. It can be broadcast on Facebook or Instagram or whatever social media platform you'd be on. Make sure you take Jesus wherever you go. Make sure you don't hide him and go, well, around this group of people, I can't talk about Jesus. Wait a second, you're suddenly not going to be who you really are and talk about the most important person in your life? See, that leads us to a conversation about fear. You know, the title of the message was Fearlessness in the Face of Danger. Yeah, there's going to be some danger in this life. But I want to talk about first this healthy fear because there can be a fear of what people think. But there's a fear that a believer should have. A Christian should have this fear of God. Now, at that point, some would go, oh no, see, that's a problem I have with the Bible. The Bible says you're supposed to have the fear of the Lord or fear of God. Like this cowering, I'm afraid he's going to hit me with a big stick. That's not what it means. That's not what it means. The fear of the Lord is this, reverential awe of who God is. In other words, you realize that you are interacting with the person who created everything you see including you. He made you. It's not like, hey, how you doing, buddy? Oh, you've got something you've shared with me? Cool. I'm going to think about that. And if I feel like it, maybe I'll do it. That's not reverential awe. Reverential awe isn't, God, I know you've put that on my heart, but I really got a bunch of other things going on that are way more important. So I'll put you in the queue and I'll put you in the, in the schedule of things for me. And when I get to it, I'll get to it. That's not reverential law either. Reverential law is my creator has spoken to me and I'm going to do to the best of my ability what he told me as soon and as best as I possibly can. That's reverential awe. You realize that he's God and you and I are not God. The Bible says a lot about the fear of the Lord. The book of Proverbs, it's an entire theme in the book of Proverbs. Look on the screen here. Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools, as a contrast, despise wisdom and instruction. So having this reverential awe of who God is, that God exists and that he's real and that he created you, is the beginning of wisdom. The original word for the word beginning there, it means first and foremost or the best part. The best part of knowledge, the best part of wisdom, the best part or the first part, the first step is having a fear of the Lord. If you really want that, like I want that wisdom, I want that knowledge, then you have to have an awe and reverence for who God is. Because if you don't, you don't even get to the beginning of it. You know, Proverbs is really great because it keeps speaking because, okay, if you don't have the fear of the Lord, here's the other fear that you'll end up having in your life, the fear of man. And you can't have the fear of God and the fear of man at exactly the same time. You're going to be choosing one or the other. And you have to pick which one. I think it was uh, it was Charles Spurgeon that said the best cure for the fear of man is the fear of the Lord. It's this idea of like, what do other people think about me? I mean, if I share some of the things about who Jesus is or how real he is to me, I may experience some challenges. You most certainly will. But if you live your life worried about what everybody else thinks, then Proverbs speaks about that too. Proverbs 29 verse 25 
The fear of man lays a snare. It's a trap. You'll get trapped. You'll feel trapped. You'll never be able to make everybody happy. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. You and I have a choice. We can have the reverential awe of God or we can have the fear of man. And each of us gets to pick. And one of them leads to wisdom and knowledge and the other one is a trap. I can't tell you the number of Christians that I've seen that have a fear of man and they are so bound up and they don't know what to do next. They don't know what they'll do. They're so afraid. I want to tell you that you need to have this fear of God and it will push away the fear of man. There are benefits to having this reverential awe of God. Here's one. It keeps you from evil. Having an awe of who God is keeps you from evil. Proverbs again, Proverbs 16, 6. Unfailing love and faithfulness. Um, faithfulness make atonement for sin. But fearing the Lord, by fearing the Lord, people avoid evil. Think about that. If you have an awe for who God is and then some evil opportunity comes about, you're going to go, I'm not going to do that. I believe that there's a God who made everything. He sees everything and he doesn't want me to do this. I'm not going to do that thing. I want to give you an actual example from the Bible. It's a young man named Joseph and a woman, we'll just call Mrs. Potiphar right now. Genesis 39, verse 7, 8, and 9. But after a time, his master's wife, that would be Potiphar was the master, so uh, Potiphar's wife, cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Man, lady, seriously? Wow, okay. Verse 8. But he refused, Joseph did, and said to his master's wife, Mrs. Potiphar, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He's put everything that he has in my charge. He is greater. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything back from me except you because you are his wife. And then this is the key. Look at this. This shows you the fear of the Lord. How then can I do this great wickedness, sleep with you and sin against Potiphar? Sin against God. The fear of God will keep you from evil. Joseph wouldn't do this sin with Potiphar's wife because he had an awe for who God is. He knew who God was. Are you struggling with sin? Maybe you have a, an issue with the fear of God, like you don't have it in your heart. You think he's like your buddy. You think he's like a suggestion person. You think he's like a genie that kind of makes, you know, whatever you want, you ask him. No, he's God. He made you. He knows every atom, every subatomic particle that you're made of. He knows every thought that you have. He's not suggesting when he speaks to you. He's directing you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know, here's the other thing a fear of the Lord will give you. It'll give you a better life. The fear of the Lord will give you a better quality of life. If you know that there's a God and you live in the awe that there's a God. Proverbs again, Proverbs is so good at talking about the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 14, 26 and 27. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. Do you have insecurity issues? The Bible says the fear of the Lord, knowing who God is, in that you'll have strong confidence. And it goes on and it says, and his children will have a refuge. Moms, dads, grandparents. It's fine if you're around because you can direct your kids or grandkids in the direction they need to go. But have you directed them and have you and told them about the Lord and that they need to have a fear of the Lord? Not afraid of the Lord, that they should have a reverence for who God is. 
Because it tells us here that a person who trains their children to have a fear of the Lord will give their children a place to find refuge. When the world comes against them, they will know who they can go to when mom and dad aren't around, when grandparents aren't around, when they go off to college, when they go off and move away. Have they been given the knowledge of who God is so that they may have the fear of the Lord? And verse 27, what is the fear of the Lord like? It's like a fountain of life. It's so refreshing. It's like that water, that clear water to a thirsty person. That's what having an awe for who God is is like. It's a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares. There's that word, that trap, the snares of death. And so Jesus is saying, you should not fear man. You should not fear what people think. You should instead have an awe for who God is. And so I ask you the question, has God spoken to you about how amazing he is? Because if he has, it's your responsibility to tell other people. No, it's the pastor's responsibility. It's every Christian's responsibility. And here's the truth. Some of the people you know will never talk to me, especially if they find out that I'm a pastor. They won't, but they'll talk to you. They'll listen to you because they know you. Let's keep reading here. Jesus is not done talking about not fearing. Here's the second statement he's going to make. Verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And now you may read that and be like, whoa, dude. Yeah, that's right. Like, you know, don't need to be afraid of people that could try to, you know, maybe kill me. Um, but they can't kill my soul. But I should rather feel that, fear that person who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Yeah, I need to really fear Satan. That's not Satan that we're talking about because Satan doesn't have that power. Verse 28, Satan is not mentioned. Satan has nothing to do with that second part. That person at the very end there, rather fear him. That's have awe for the person who could destroy both soul and body. If God wanted to at this moment, he could. this universe could not exist at the snap of his fingers. Do you realize that's the person who we follow? It should cause us to realize, oh, we're not on the same level here, are we? No, we're not. And what Jesus is saying is, why are you disciples? Don't be afraid of people who may be able to take your physical life, but they can't kill your soul. Your soul lives forever. God created your soul. Rather, you should have fear and awe for the person to who, if he wanted to, could make it all go away. It puts it in perspective. I'm so afraid of Satan. I'm so afraid of this world. Uh, they're all down here. God is up here. And the gap between them is infinite. It's not even close. See, fear has to do with this one word. Listen carefully. Loss. Fear has everything to do with you losing something. Whether you actually do or not isn't the point. It's the fear, the thought that you might lose something. It can be so paralyzing. You know, it's that idea of, well, I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to lose my relationship. I don't want to lose my, my, my finances. I don't want to lose my comfort. I don't want to lose my, my convenience. I don't want to lose my life. I don't want to lose. I don't want to lose. I don't want to be a loser. I don't want to lose. And so you know what you do? You do nothing. And the enemy goes, perfect. That's exactly what I was hoping you'd do. Nothing. That's the power of fear. Fear in itself doesn't do anything. It tries to convince you to do nothing. It tries to whisper, you're going to lose, you're going to 
You play it safe. And here's how you play it safe. Do nothing. Do nothing. Do nothing. Some of you understand very clearly what I'm talking about when it comes to paralyzing fear. You know what you you and I need to remember in this 21st century here? We need to remember that the world can never take away the eternal things from us. It can't. It cannot. The world never gave you those eternal things. Therefore, it cannot take any of them away. Think about it. Well, I could get physically killed. Yeah, that's a temporary thing. I could lose my job. Yes, that's totally possible. I could lose my house. That is also completely possible. I could lose the presence of God. No. I could lose the love of God. No. I could lose the grace of God and the mercy of God. No. Satan can take that from me. No, he can't. The world can take, the courts can take, the government can... No, they can't. What Jesus is saying is, why are you so afraid of people who at the very best can only take away the temporary things in this short life? Shouldn't you instead have awe for the person who put all those things in place? You know, every week, the bulletin changes, the screen changes, and you know, you may go, oh, it's kind of, you know, wintertime around here, and it's been a little dreary and drizzly, so we're looking at like a, you know, South Pacific island, and it's really nice and beautiful. This is actually uh, in the Indian Ocean, and this island right here is part of, the, it's, it's under the uh, jurisdiction of the, uh, the nation of I- I- India. And so, this island, however, is 700 miles away from India. Like, if you looked on a map, it's, it's closer to, like, Malaysia and other countries than it is to India itself. And this island is, it's got beautiful sand beaches all the way around. It's about the size of, if you've been to New York, it's about the size of Manhattan. It's not very big. It has this huge, dense forest in the center and has sandy beaches all around the edge. And this island is called North Sentinel Island. North Sentinel Island was named by the British centuries ago. And so you may have heard the news this last week. There was a a young man, John Allen Chow, born in 1992, died two weeks ago. He died on North Sentinel Island. 26 years old. Now there's a lot of... um, News that's gone around here. Uh, John was a Christian who was from, you know, accounts are still coming out. And I mean, there's not a, I don't know if, if all the information will ever come out. But as it's slowly coming out, it just seemed like he was a person that was passionate about Jesus. He was so passionate that he really didn't care about risks when it came to lots of things in his life. He ended up being, uh, he'd, he'd been well-traveled. He had um, taken, he had done soccer clinics with kids in other countries and sharing the love of Jesus with them. Um, he went to college, I believe, up in Washington State. Uh, he's from Alabama. And he found himself near North Sentinel Island. It wasn't the first time. He'd been there in 2016 and he'd also been in that area in 2017 as well. So he knew about the people there and he knew that the people on North Sentinel Island, they really didn't like visitors. And what do you mean by didn't really like visitors? Like every visitor, whether it be film crews or people from India that would come and try to give offerings to them or just trying to peace offerings, coconuts, whatever, just to go, hey, listen here. Um, they were mostly met with arrows. 
Uh, fishermen who would fish around the island there, sometimes their boats would be adrift and they would find themselves against the reefs. They would be killed by those that lived on North Sentinel Island. And so John Allen Chow knew that there were risks involved and all of those things. And, and I'm not here to, I want to make this clear. I'm not here to say that every one of his methods or how it all happened was perfect. I don't even know what all the details would be exactly. But I will say this. I do believe that John had a fear of the Lord. In other words, he had an awe for who God is. And I believe that he heard the Lord speak to him about something very particular that he was supposed to do. There's lots of, I mean, obvious concerns. This, this group of people that live on the island, not sure how many people live on the island exactly. Um, they survived the tsunami uh, in what, 2004, whenever the, the huge tsunami was. They survived that tsunami there. Um, they've thrown, you know, they've shot arrows at helicopters that have tried to come by. Like they don't want people around. And John ended up going there. I mean, there's other things like, you know, they haven't been around modern uh, people in this modern day and age, so their immune systems would be a lot more susceptible to diseases and things like that. So again, I'm not saying that all of these methods are perfect, but I think there's a point here. And my point is that most people that are describing John Allen Chow, they go, what a waste. What a waste. 26 years old, had his whole life ahead of him. Could have done so many things. And instead, he just goes out there and he gets himself killed. And you know, I was thinking about that and I was thinking about that actually a lot during this week. And I thought, that's one way to look at it. And I thought, I wonder how people looked at others in the Bible here. I wonder how people looked at like, say, Paul, right? Remember Paul? Paul, he had it made. He just had to stay. He just be a good Jew, Paul. Be a good put Jew, Okay. Be a good Jew. Don't get everything riled up. Yeah, Jesus is coming. You've heard all about that stuff. But you just keep doing what you're supposed to do. But Paul instead heard Jesus, responded to the call of Jesus, and ended up being in prison, taken to Rome, and he died in Rome. And some would go, what a waste of a life. If we go before Paul, Paul was standing there. He used to go by the name Saul, or he was known by his other name, Saul. He was standing there, and there was a young man. His name was Stephen. And Stephen was telling a group of people, it's because of your sins, you Jewish people, you and your sins, you've missed that the Messiah has come. And they plugged their ears and they ran after Stephen and they stoned him. What a waste of a young life. Except there was a man standing there watching this whole thing going, going, yeah, what a fool. Look at this young guy, wasted his life. His name was Saul, who would become Paul. So was Stephen's life wasted? Nope. And I think if we look at people throughout history, even for Jesus, for someone to go, oh, look at him, he didn't even make it to 35. Could have lived it so, he, he didn't, he could have been so much more. Well, it just means they don't know who Jesus is, right? And so for John Allen Chow, I can't speak for him, but I can read you the words that he wrote down to his family. See, he went out on a boat the boats wouldn't go near the island, so they would stop and about a mile away and then he would take his kayak and kayak in. He kayaked in one day and when he kayaked in, he was able to talk with a few people who brought a football, a Bible and a few other things, I think. And then, But they didn't receive it well. And to say that, what I mean is a young boy pulled out his bow and arrow and shot at him. So John jumps into the ocean and he had a, an arrow hit him, but it hit him in his Bible. So his Bible had an arrow that went through it. And he swims a mile out to the ship that's out. Now his kayak is gone because it's on the shore there. It's gone. And what does he do? He goes home. No. The next, he writes a couple of things down in his journal to his family. And then he heads back out to the island. 
And the next day, the fishermen, when they said that they came back, they saw the, the natives on the island there dragging his body on the beach. I want to read you some of the things that John wrote to his family. You guys might think I'm crazy in all this, but I think it's worth it to declare Jesus to these people. This is not a pointless thing. The eternal lives of this tribe are at hand and I can't wait to see them around the throne of God worshiping in their own language as Revelation 7, 9 and 10 states. I love you all and I pray none of you love anything in this world more than Jesus Christ. And then he has a question. Lord, is this island Satan's last stronghold where none have heard or even had a chance to hear your name? And then he says this to his parents. Please do not be angry at them or at God if I get killed. I love you all. And then he went back to the island. You know, it's interesting. How much do you value your life? How much do you value this short time that you have here on this earth? And, and I, I, I do want to say there is this healthy balance in there. You're not called to simply throw your life away. But at the same time, here's the opposite end. And I think this is where our country is at. And I think this is where Christians in our country can tend to. You're not called to embalm yourself and preserve your life at all costs. Let me say that again. You weren't created to protect your life. That's not why you were created. You were created to be a living testimony that there is a real God who loves people. And that may come at your own personal risk. Jesus says, if you want to gain life, you're going to have to lose your life for my sake. And you may have plenty of opinions. And here's the thing. Everybody's got an opinion. Generally speaking, the, the secular media has the opinion that this young man wasted his life. But you know what the truth is? The truth is nobody's opinion actually matters except what God thinks about what John did. It's honestly it. And so while I'm not telling you you should find the most remote place and then you know skydive in there and, and, and just die there, I'm saying this. If you hear the Lord whisper in your ear and put this amazing call and love for people, then you would be disobedient to not follow after what God told you to do. And know this, when you follow God, I guarantee you this, I don't care what you do for God. I don't care if you end up being a pastor of a church in Arcata or whatever, you are always going to have critics that go, you're wasting your life. And that's where you have a choice, fear of God, the awe of who he is, or fear of man and what they all say about you. Jesus is going to continue on here and we'll finish up very quick. Jesus asked this question. He goes, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them fall to the earth apart from your father. Um, This penny that he's talking about, it was a coin in their time. It was a small coin called a pruta. It's a copper coin. There it is on the screen. And for size, it looks huge on the screen here. This is slightly smaller than a US dime. Not very big. And Jesus is saying, aren't two sparrows bought for one of these? And now you may just go, what's the point? The reader at that time would totally understand it and would definitely be listening because Jesus just made a fast food reference. I'm not kidding you. A common reference, if I was to like modernize that phrase, it would be like if Jesus said, aren't two chicken McNuggets bought for a quarter? I mean, not that you can, but like, like if he said that and you'd just be like, what? 
And then Jesus says, doesn't God care about every single one of those chickens? And you'd be like, that's what they heard when Jesus said this. And you're probably going, Jim, what are you talking about right now? You're crazy. No, the two sparrows they're talking about, it's not like, oh, I'm going to buy two sparrows because for pets, because everybody has pet sparrows. No, there were two sparrows on a stick. It was a sparrow kebab. Like you put the sparrows on the stick and they'd roast them and the vendors would have them there waiting. And so as people were walking by, this pruta, this was one sixty-fourth of a denarius. Now, what? who cares? A denarius is one day's wage. So this was one sixty-fourth of a day's wage, a fairly insignificant amount of money. And so what people would do is they would take out their pruta and they'd be like, ah, I kind of got a little grumble in my tummy here and be like, ah, and you know, again, fast food, it's existed for a while. So they're like, I think I'm going to go hit the sparrow shop over there. And the guy would go over and drop a pruta, grab two, eat them, call it good and keep going on with life, right? Jesus is giving this fast food reference. Why? He's doing it to go, do you think God cares about those sparrows? They were two relatively small birds bought for a relatively insignificant amount of money. Jesus is saying, don't be afraid because your father pays attention to even the smallest details and he cares. And he cares. But then look at the next verse, verse 30. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Some of you here are like, that's easy. It's zero. It's so easy. That's an easy number. But that's actually not what Jesus is saying. Check this out. It doesn't say all the hairs of your head are counted. It says all the hairs of your head are numbered. Do you understand what that means? That means that every hair that you've ever had on your head in your life, God has numbered. For the average of, you know, 120,000 hairs on a human head, human follicles, your follicles can grow 20 hairs in a lifetime. 20 times 120,000 follicles. That's a lot of hairs for God to count. God knows every, he's numbered every hair you've ever had on your head. Jesus is saying this. Why is Jesus saying this? So that you won't be afraid of people. Because your God does such an amazing level of accounting. If he has that much level of detail and accounting, don't you think he can take care of your life and all the details of your life? Like, come on, if he can count every hair, if he can number every hair on your head, I think he can take care of every small detail in your life. And Jesus says in verse 31, the third time he's going to say it, therefore, fear not, fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Listen, I don't know how much the fear of this life and people grips you, But God's trying to get your attention today and he's trying to tell you that you're worth more than two chicken nuggets, right? Okay? (laughs) Which he already knows about. You're worth more than all the hairs of your head. God is way bigger than you and I could even possibly imagine. And he, in how, how encompassing he is, he actually cares about all the details of you. Because of that, don't be afraid of what other people think. Just go out there and tell them how much God loves them. And then verse 32 and 33. So everyone, and this is, boy, some people, if they don't know the real Jesus, sometimes they don't like Jesus after these two verses here. Verse 32 and 33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is the scene that every single person will face. 
generally speaking, every human being is going to find themselves before the judge. God the Father will be there. And the thing is, every person that will be before God the Father, every human being in this room, in this county, on this planet, as they show up before God after their last breath, they will be charged with breaking God's law. And here's the thing, every person will be guilty. Because all you have to do is do it once for you to be a lawbreaker. You just have to break a law once to become a lawbreaker. So every person before the judge at the end of this life will be before a judge and be guilty. And at that point, sentencing. But for the person who in this life, while they had breath, acknowledged their need for Jesus, for the Savior, for a king, for, for one who died on their behalf, who paid for their sins, for that person... In that courtroom, sentencing is happening. There's a defense attorney, Jesus. And Jesus will stop the proceedings for a moment and he'll speak to the judge who happens to be his father and say, I know, I'm going to end up there, right? Jesus will look over and go, I know Jim. I know Jim and dad, I've also paid for him. So every, everything that he deserves, he, he died. I would deserve it. Everything he deserves, I've already paid for. Okay. Well, then that, that's been taken care of. Here's the other way that Jesus will show up in that courtroom. For the, per, per the person who, because of pride of their life, I've got this, I've got it all figured out, I know everything, I don't need God. They too will breathe their last breath. They too will find themselves before God the God that they should have had a fear of in this life, the awe of in this life. They will find themselves before him and he will, without a shadow of a doubt, everyone will agree that that person is guilty. And at that point, there is no defense attorney. Wait a second, Jesus was there for, well, Jesus can't be the defense attorney for somebody who says, I'm good enough, I got this myself, because that person has chosen to represent themselves. And all the facts have been laid out and that person is guilty of sin. And now comes the sentencing. And the sentencing is, you have chosen to reject me in your life and so you will spend eternity away from me because you don't want anything to do with me. And if somebody looks over at Jesus at that point, well, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus will go, I never knew you. You never wanted a relationship with me. I never knew you. We cannot take lightly these last two verses here. I think the made-up Jesus that, you know, the, the, the feel-good Jesus that people have, I don't think they realize Jesus said those two words. You have to acknowledge me to be right with God. And if you don't acknowledge me, you won't be right with God. Listen, I don't know where you're at with the Lord this morning, but Jesus is the one speaking in these passages here. Where do you stand with him? Because where you stand with Jesus is where you stand with God. And where you stand with God is where you spend eternity. This is the biggest decision a human being can make in their life. Bigger than who you get married to is the decision to accept Christ or to reject him. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up here. We're going to pray and I'm going to give you an opportunity to accept Christ. As you've been listening to these words... Some of you may have realized that you are not in the right place with God. He's more of a advisor to you and not the one who created you. 
You realize that you need to get things right with Him. And you realize you actually need a Savior. That you can't save yourself. We've got our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If that's where you're at and you want to accept Jesus Christ into your heart, you're here in person, you're listening on the radio, you're listening on the internet, you can pray this prayer to Jesus just with a heart of humility. God, I need saving. God, I can't do this by myself. I admit that I am wrong, that I have wronged others, that I have wronged you. I admit that I need a Savior. And Jesus, I humble myself before you and I ask you to be my Savior. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I ask you to change me from the inside out. Change the way that I look at things and how I see things. Help me to walk in the path that honors you. Jesus, I believe you died for me and you rose from the dead. And I believe that one day I'm going to see you soon face to face. Jesus, thank you for saving me and making me a Christian. We've got our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you're here this morning and that's a prayer that you prayed for yourself, I'm not going to embarrass you at all. I'm just curious if there's anybody here this morning. If, if there was, would you, with your heads bowed, eyes closed, would you raise your hand just so I could see? Is there anyone here? I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Is there anyone else? Father, thank you for these dear people. They're worth more than a lot of sparrows. You've known them from before they were born, before their parents were born. You've known everything they've gone through in their life. You know every sorrow that they've gone through. You know what it's like for them when that fear grips their life. And God, you have compassion for them. You care for them. Jesus, we just would ask that, um, Holy Spirit, we would ask that you would fill them with your power. Give them what they need so that they can walk straight and true with you. Give them what they need so that they can be a shining light to people around them who are struggling. And God, I pray you put a joy in their heart that can never, ever, ever be taken away because no one else gave it to them except you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for what you've done this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.